Hi, this is Jack Tester. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Lounge. It's a beautiful June morning in St. Paul, Minnesota. Kind of crisp June. I know it's not great for the air conditioning business, but uh, it's still a beautiful day. And it's even better because sitting across the desk from me is Jamie Gertzen. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm good. I'm good. How are you this morning, Jack? What brings you to St. Paul? Uh, I was here for an advanced marketing training class. It's pretty interesting. That's the first one we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a nice, uh, it's been good. We've been with about six different companies learning yeah. and swapping ideas, and it's been good. Well, thank you for coming in. You, you got in here a little early. You probably cut out a workout or whatever you were doing this morning to be here. And uh, I want to have you tell your story because it's an interesting one, and uh, you've risen to a place of prominence in the industry. You're now on the next our board of directors. Thank you for that. Appreciate it very much. You know? And, yeah. Uh, but I find that uh, there's a story, there's a lesson, there's something to learn from everyone's journey through this industry, and you've got a unique one. So let's let's talk about, um, you're in a family business, so just tell me about your family business first, and we'll talk about how you ended sure. up in it. Is that okay? Yeah, for sure. So um, I, I'd start off by saying we're really a business family, not a family business. Um, early on, my grandfather started a company called Gertzen Heating uh, back in 1931. Oh, this is... We'll go way back, business. right? Wow. Yeah, so pre air conditioning. <clears throat> yeah, so he uh, couldn't find a job, and so he had a buddy who was selling. Uh, he was unemployable. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> he might have been at the time. Okay, uh, but he had a buddy who was selling natural gas to homeowners. So what they would do is he would sell the natural gas, and then my grandfather would come in behind him and sell coal conversion kits uh, for natural gas, and that's how it started. Oh, okay. Back in the day, so, so converting coal heating systems to. To uh, gas. gas, yeah. Very so cool. that was, you know, and so fast forward, um, my grandfather died in 75. My dad and his brother uh, was, and his brother was always going to be, my uncle was always going to be five years older than my dad. So my dad thought it was sunny. My uncle thought it was cloudy or uh, night and day differentials between how they ran the businesses. So my dad ended up leaving the family business in 85. Okay. Um, Went to go work for a small company called Rotorooter, who was trying to expand in heating and air at the time. They had bought in this small company called Apollo. Um, my dad had never applied for a job outside the family business ever. Uh, ended up applying for this job. Uh, they thought he was a plant because he was running. So they hired him to be a sales guy, basically. Uh, within two weeks of working there, uh, the guy who was running it, you know, was a, was a, had a master's in business, which is great, an MBA but I uh, really didn't know how to run a heating air, air conditioning business. So they ended up firing that guy. My dad became the GM. Uh, and then a year later, he got a call, and Rotary decided that it was no longer meeting their corporate goals. And they said, hey, we're going to just shut it down. Do you want to buy it? My dad was like, well, sure. So at the time, this company was maybe $600,000 in revenue, maybe five, very small. What year was this? This is 86? Probably, this is probably 80. If I really thought about it, it's probably the fall of 88. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when you left the family business, he had a, was looking for stuff, finally found this gig at Apollo. Um, so we're kind of late 88. Um, ends up buying the business, closes on the deal March, March of, uh, March of 89. Uh, Friday gets insurance for it, walks in Monday morning, and an oak tree has fallen over all of his trucks, and he had about six trucks. And the business was housed in it's a... It's like a sign from God or it's something, horrible. right? It's <laughs> horrible. Point, you know? the, and I'll tell you a backstory. Welcome to business owner. <laughs> it's horrible. I'll tell you a backstory in a second. So, but these, so it's six to eight trucks he had, I think. And then it was a two-family house with a pole barn in the back, right? Not a fancy situation at all. And my dad, 
um, basically had when he left the family business, you know, it was a divorce, right? Yeah. I mean, and and he basically walked away with, you know, four to five weeks of severance, maybe. Um, the business was not financially viable, um, so you know, it was a tough time. So, yeah. <clears throat> fast forward, you know, we're back at the, the tree on side of the trucks. Um, on that Friday when he closed, you know, he bought Apollo for three hundred dollars cash, and the rest was quadruple collateralized. And he had to go to five banks to get a loan. Finally, gets a loan. And by all intents and purposes, I think most bankers thought he was just going to go out of business. But in his mind, he's like, I've done this my entire life. I grew up in this business. Yeah. I can do this business. And they would ask him for a business plan. And he would be like, well, what business plan? I, I know what I'm doing. So, uh, so fast forward, they were profitable in their first year, which was an abbreviated year. And then uh, each year over, we've done the same thing, which has been profitable each year, which has been great. Um, but so the whole time that was Apollo heating and air. That was Apollo heating and air. Okay. That was so the, the whole time there's, so that's happening. Uh, and then I am sort of in high school going to college. Um, I was a pretty good athlete in high school. And so I ended up getting a scholarship to go to Boston university. But the bottom line there is, you know, <clears throat> I had a 1.9 GPA unweighted and a 780 on my SATs. I would, I would row after school and everybody else would study. Your, your, your sport was rowing. It was rowing. Row, row, row your boat. Really? Seems a little bougie. <laughs> well, you know, in the Ohio River, you know, it's... <laughs> it's now, that, yeah. now that I get some context. Yeah, it's Ohio River. I mean, right. you know, just don't let the water get on you and you'll be yeah. fine. So, not, not London or anything, is it? No. No, this isn't like the Thames River. This right. is the Ohio River with barges and, right. you know, sewage. It's good. Okay. It's good. <laughs> so you got a, a scholarship because you're a good rower and a right. terrible student. Pretty much. And you're a smart guy. So we're going to have some fun right now, right? So you must have just been really lazy. <laughs> well, you know, I think... Because you're a smart, oh intelligent guy. I, well, I've watched you. So You've even wrote books now. I, I have, which is right. another... But I, I would tell you, that I think for me, I, I'm gritty, right? So I am a continuous learner, and I'm pretty competitive. And so, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that, I'm going to put my heart and soul in trying to learn how to do it better. But, you know, high school is high school. Yeah, I think I look back and I see there's definitely a duality. You know, you see people that you were in high school with that were super successful in high school. Duality? Duality. All right. <laughs> First time ever on Leadership Lounge. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, so, I like it. So yeah. I'm sorry. No, we're let's friends, dial back. So we're having fun. It's okay. So. so the duality, the duality is you see these people that are what I call fast starters. They look really shiny in high school. They look smart. You know, maybe they're going to top tier schools. But then all of a sudden, school's not life. So in the, in the school of life, um, I think I've been pretty successful, but a lot of it came from discontinuous learning. So I ended up going, you know, I had two college choices, Claremont Community College, had to pay for it, live at home with mom and dad, or go to Boston University on a scholarship. I chose Boston University. I got a rowing scholarship there. Um, and, you know, I... I'd love to sit here and say I had like this amazing, successful college career. Sure, just, that's where it just opened up for you, didn't it? <laughs> oh, oh boy, open up. I think that's an interesting. I would say I got to Boston University, and you know, I was I was there a semester, you know, and then at the end of the day, I would tell you that um, four colleges later, I finally graduated. Oh, yeah. it wasn't a straight line. Definitely not. I mean, I went from Boston University, then I went to University of Miami in Florida. Solid choice. Thanks, mom and dad. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, my University of Miami in Florida, you know, I think I went there for two and a half years, but I'm not sure I got more than t maybe a year and a half of study. Were you a party or what? Uh, 
I wouldn't say it was so much partying. Is it? It's distracting. I mean, there's a lot to do in Miami, Florida, besides going to school. So, um, but I didn't really, you know, when I think about BU and I think about Miami, I just wasn't. It just never really got or understood why I needed to go to school. I guess I wasn't really focused on academics. So you weren't competitive <clears throat> with your other, you know, you didn't want to. So you said you're a competitive guy, but it wasn't right. about grades. Not for me. Okay. Now, now when it, when I guess when you want to, when it happens is, so I leave Miami of Florida, I move back to Cincinnati, and I probably in my early 20s, maybe 21, 22. And I'm like, you know, I need to probably pretty get out, get on this. I'm starting to see some of my friends like close to graduation, right? I'm seeing some of my friends starting to get jobs. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy, you know, the so guy that's who's where it like clicked with you then, right? It's starting to yeah. So I think looking that around the aha moment, I just moved back to Cincinnati. I remember I was working at Fridays on the river as a waiter and I was okay. a horrible waiter. But I was, I was, you know, I worked in restaurants, and so I was working in this restaurant. And I remember, I remember this really clear moment. It was like a Sunday night, maybe, and this guy was filling out some paperwork, and it was like his end of his shift. And we all would have a beer together, all the servers together after the shift, right? Yeah. And he's sitting there, and, he, and he's probably 20 years my senior, maybe a little older. And he said, and he's sitting there filling out paperwork. I'm like, what are you doing there? He's like, oh, this is my 401k retirement. And I think really, I remember it. I'm like, I think at that moment I was like, holy, oh my God, is that, am I going to be retiring from, from being a server at Fridays? Like, is that all I'm going to accomplish? So I think that's when I went back. I got, <clears throat> I got pretty serious then. I mean, I was okay. like, you know, so I ended up graduating between time off, between schools and stuff. I mean, I ended up graduating three and a half years from college. And I graduated like a three, four, three, five. I just got really, really serious. And at the end of the, at the towards the tail end, it was you know, taking seven classes or whatever it was, taking as many classes as I could fit in in a semester, working part-time, sometimes working full-time, um, and going to school. And that was really the, probably the last two two years of my college experience. It was just getting it done, right? Yeah. So That's good. That's good wisdom, though. Seriously, that you could see the path that, that you were on and you could see it played forward and uh, didn't want that path, right? No, I, I, I mean, it's the, it's like, Hey, you know, light switches on and you're like, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to do it down this direction. And so, yeah. um, and then I have always been one of these people who was able to create real clarity around goals. Right. So I would say, okay, well, what do I want to do? And, and you, I could visualize the future forward and say, this is kind of like, and maybe not 10 years, but I would, in this particular case, it was like, I could visualize myself. What did I need to do and how am I going to do it? And I yeah. could get real clear about that. Okay. So, um, Jamie, bad high school student. Yeah. Good athlete. Jamie, something, you know, the light bulb finally turned on. You finally got motivated. You yeah. graduated from college. And, of course, you went right back in the family business? No. So I, I, did, I, I did graduate from college, and then I went to work for my dad, and three weeks later my dad fired me. Okay. And he, he, he was pretty clear. He said, <laughs> Why did he fire you? Well, I remember the day. I mean, he came in and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I explained what I was doing. And he asked me, a, like, another, like, again, like, what are you doing? And I'm saying, this is what I'm doing. And he said, well, no, what are you doing here still? He's like, you can't work here. He's like, I'm not going to let you do what I did. It's like you just show up one day, and then all of a sudden you're, it's 25 years later, and you're still working for the family business. you got to go work for somewhere else for at least five years. So I, so I, left, the, I left the business. I went to go. So you'd worked in the business off and on through high school and college? Yeah, kind of yeah. like everybody delivering parts and yeah. stuff and right. drinking Mountain Dew, driving a truck around. It's great. <laughs> you know, a lot of responsibility. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so then I uh, I left Apollo and I went to uh, live work for the startup company in Tampa, Florida. A guy I knew had started this business and it was a competitive local exchange carrier called CLAC. Um, they competed against uh, incumbent local exchange carriers like Cincinnati Bell. It's like or local local telephone service? Correct. Okay. Wire, basically wireline local phone service, you know, okay. the telephone. Right, right. cutting edge. Cutting, <laughs> very cutting edge. Right. Uh, we ended up, uh, so I ended up working there for, gosh, I don't know, five years or six years, something like that. Uh, during that time, though, it was one of these crazy places where it was in, in the dot-com era. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, you know, have a business plan on the back of a napkin, raise a bunch of money, uh, hire a bunch of people, and go public. So that's what we ended up doing. I got, I think I was the 75th employee uh, when I got there. And when I left, I think at one point we had 3,000 employees. But I remember there was a day um, there where, you know, all of a sudden went down to 1,500. I called it a riff. I didn't know what a riff was. Reduction in force. <laughs> I know I it. it. I thought it was like an ocean wave of some sort. <laughs> so As a rower. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, because it's all about the water, right? right. So. But that, so this what did company, you do for them, by the way? Yeah, so I did business development. I traveled around the country. What does that mean? Well, you know. It's, acquisitions? It's, is that what that is? That's a fancy term for just, you know, talking to people. Okay. Because <laughs> no. I've heard people say that, and it's, and it's been defined as sales. It's been defined as acquisitions. Right. It's strategy, whatever sure. the heck that is. Well, I mean, it's like when you don't have a job and you say you're a consultant. Okay. <laughs> no, so you worked kidding. there yeah. as a business development right. guy. I did. So I was in the business development, which is a fancy way of saying I went around the country and tried to set up relationships with entities, individuals, corporations um, to distribute our product through a th basically they're a white label, in other words, private label the product and product basically as their own or large administrative groups that resell the product to their okay. organizations. So we were doing that traveling, I don't know, 30 weeks a year. I would get calls like on a Sunday afternoon. My, my boss would say, hey, I need you to be on a plane. And I'd be like, where am I going? Just go to Boston. When you get there, call me, and I'll let you know what you're doing. And that was a pretty dysfunctional way to run the business. The challenge with that business was the guy who ran it, I think, was a great sales guy. But I think when you get to the scale that he was trying to get, um, he could tell a really good story, really great sales guy, great at raising money. But I think the problem was it was it was dysfunctional on so many levels. He was hiring a lot of his friends, so that's a little bit of a challenge. Like you? Uh, yeah. yeah okay. uh, no, I mean that, that's your friend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Shoot the arrow right through the heart. There. No, I just said <laughs> just because your skill set at this time would <laughs> well, scream I, business uh, development. Oh, oh for <laughs> right. sure, for sure. Right. Uh, so I think, and then I think the other thing is the. When you have a product and we delivered it over the infrastructure of our competitor, that's pretty interesting, right? So I'm going to sell a product. It's over the basically I'm selling a product over the competitor, right? And the competitor's uh, infrastructure, and so they're not exactly willing to help you be successful at it. Uh, and I think he was trying to do a nationwide footprint, which is really hard to do right out of the gate, especially with that infrastructure set up. So okay. Anyway, long story short, we ended up going public in '99. I ended up leaving shortly thereafter, and then a couple years later, the company got delisted and pretty much went out of business. I wanted to move back to Cincinnati to raise my kids. At the time, when I got, you know, I'd gotten married, my dad was my best man. He's still my best friend, um, great guy. I ended up, uh, you know, ended up going to see him after some interviews with larger corporations, and I said to him, "Hey, you know, I'd like to do something with you. Uh, I don't care if what we do." He said, "Well, I'm still doing this thing called Apollo. You should." 
you know, if you want to join, I'd be happy to get you interviewed. So we, I interviewed some of his folks and we ended up, and at this time, just give me some perspective, Apollo, this is 2002, Apollo is probably, um, gosh, I don't know, two and a half million bucks. Okay. Small, 25 people that's maybe. At that time though, that's not a, yeah, I mean, not it, an insignificant business. But it certainly wasn't this booming. I get it. You know, I mean, yeah. it was, and I was coming from a much different environment. So right. we end up working out the details. I remember in the, and remember like talking to him like, well, so what's a draw against commissions? And he said, he said, well, basically I'm going to loan you $500 a week. And at the end, at the end of the month, the four week month, you're going to pay me back through the sales you made. So I got hired on as a hundred percent commission sales guy. When I went back to talk to my wife about it, uh, at the time, I remember her seeing so excited and how so like, so excited and so like, I would say, um, secure and how successful I was going to be at sales for residential heating air conditioning that she ran out and got a job. She, <laughs> you know, she, right. she was. It's called hedging. Uh, pretty right? much hedging yeah. hard. You know, we had bought a house in Cincinnati on one of those three one mortgages. Um, I was driving a car at the time that wouldn't always start. I mean, it was, you know, this thing in Tampa, when you say, hey, I worked for a company that went public, everybody puts these like big dollar signs and they're like, oh, you made a ton of money. Not so. That's not really how that one worked because there's a thing called a holding period, right? Yeah, so you had some stock that was yeah. worth a lot while you couldn't sell it. That's correct. Yeah, and when you could sell it, it wasn't worth anything. Yeah. Yeah, so we, so we moved back since I remember driving to Cincinnati. Um, and right as I started with Apollo, well, guess what? My wife's pregnant. Oh, this is great. So now I've got a pregnant wife. I've got two dogs. I've got a, got a house, and that's all great. And, uh, and I got a job, which is fantastic. The problem is, for me, jump, coming into Apollo, what I always remember back is that Apollo was a tough place to start because it was my dad's company. And we didn't have any family that had ever worked there. My dad, um, so I really felt like um, the epiphany I had when I walked in the door is, you know, I came in from a culture that was a startup culture. It was fast moving. You know, it wasn't so sort of stringent in how I guess we ran that business or were part of that business. But there were definitely like rhythms and rituals to Apollo. And I was not, I would say, welcomed, <laughs> to say the least. I was well, the sure. son of the boss, you know, SOB yeah, and the, Lucky Club and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, what is that? Prodigal son returns, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember six weeks in to working for my dad. I remember going into his office and trying to quit. I was like really, really unhappy. I was very frustrated. I couldn't figure it's out because you weren't selling, or because you just weren't accepted. I think it was because I wasn't accepted. It was okay. like you know, I, I could go out and sell. I mean, the first year I worked there, you know, I sold seven figures. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't. I didn't have an issue. Um, with the discipline of how to be successful in a job. Like that wasn't my issue. Okay. My issue was culturally, I just didn't fit. Got it. Right. And yeah. so the rub always was when I would ask for help, everybody, everybody was unhelpful. Let's just put it that way. Seriously? And that's a polite. They, they wanted to see you fail. Well, I remember there's a woman who is still work, works for us today. Her name's Sherry and Sherry's been there since 1996, long time. And Sherry said to me, years ago, this is probably 10 years ago. Um, you know, I don't know, I didn't tell you, she's like, I never told you this, but everybody thought we were gonna go out of business the day you showed up. 
she said, everybody's like, oh, we'll be out of business in five years. I had confidence in you. <laughs> Jamie Hurts. I was like. I'm sorry to laugh. Oh, I was like, this is great. Why did they think that? Because I'm not my father. I'm not as consistent. But you weren't even running the business. They just figured that you were going to come in and ultimately Correct. get to steering wheel and drive it right into the river. Yeah, and you know, and I've listened to myself as we talk about this. I mean, what a, like, you know, you come to a business and all of a sudden everyone's looking around and the culture of the business, you know, my dad didn't focus on culture. You know what my dad focused on? Growing a business and making payroll. You know, my dad was not, um, like I think about what we focus on today and I look back at what my dad focused on. You know, he was trying to fill the board every day, but he wasn't worried about like, how do you feel? like. You know, you want to feel good about your yeah. work. Like, Is your ergonomics right, right. in your office? Yeah. He didn't right? say what's your mission, vision, and values. You know, his mission, and vision, and values were really simple. Make payroll. Yeah. That's mission, vision, values, right? And so I think for him <clears throat> and that business, I mean, he was employing guys that he had known on and off his entire career. And so these techs had been around him a long time. You know, we had we had all kinds of cultural issues when I first showed up. and. But so, so, in, so, you know, the sales side was fine. What I realized when I walked in the door in 2002, uh, in the fall, I realized that the only way to really be successful in this business was going to be just to outwork it. And I, I like to say it's fancier than that, but the epiphany I had was, I'm just going to work really hard. I'm going to outwork everybody. I'm going to outsell all these sales guys. Because I think if I outsell them, then that shows them that I, you know, it's the idea that if you're the fastest runner, there's an intimately like a level of respect to being a fast runner and a group of runners. And for me, the thing with, with these guys is I knew that if I wanted to be respected, I was just going to have to work and outwork them and, and deliver more value in terms of what results I had. And so that's just what I did. Well, that's so smart. Yeah, I mean, because it's – the reality is, I mean, you were, you were always going to be your dad's son, and you didn't have to sell a lot to do that. Mm -mm. And uh, I would imagine there's, a, there's an entitlement that might creep into – some second generation, in your case, third generation mind of, well, I don't have to necessarily do all this. Maybe I, but you, you know, when I, when I, here's what I'm going to say is I think to be a good leader, before you're a good leader, you have to be a good personal performer. Whatever job you've had before you roll into a management role, before you roll into, you know, executive role, if you're a salesperson or a tech or a you know, whatever, an office person, mm -hmm. you know, that you got to be a good, you don't necessarily always be the best, but you got to be consistently good. Because otherwise you're, you know, you haven't earned it, right? You haven't earned the right to, to, to lead, in my opinion. So I think that, that that's a great example here of, of what you talked about. So you just put your head down and said, I'm going to be a great sales guy. Yeah, yeah. and that's and that's all I'm going to be. I'm yeah. not going to worry about if what I'm going to be in five years or ten years. Right. I'm just gonna go out and I'm no, gonna no promises from from your father James that you know if you if you sell a million dollars all you could run this thing next year or no. anything like that nothing nothing like that is no, that fair no. that's very fair she's giving me a look of are you incredibly right. stupid do you know my father <laughs> yeah, I mean, right my dad is a gruff no bullshit oh, or baloney kind of guy it's okay so what I would tell you is this is so I worked and I did that deal for you know five or six years. And I remember saying, you know, I would like to take over more responsibility formally because you take yeah. over more responsibility right. informally in a yeah. business. And he said, well, that's fine. He said, just find somebody to replace your revenue. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, for us to afford you to move into a management role that has a base salary or something or a salary to it, you're going to have to replace your revenue. 
Yeah. And in other words, you're going to have to sell more than you're selling now. So I had to go out and find and build some sales guys who could actually deliver enough revenue to cover cost. Mm -hmm. And I was selling at the same time. So when I finally got enough of that lift with adding some sales guys, um, I was able to move into some more of a management role. And at that time, that was sort of a quasi operational sales installation management deal. Um, but, you know, when I showed up, we didn't have like a sales folder. We didn't have like, I mean, the way we did leads is somebody would write it down on a piece of paper and hand it to you. And then the next one came in, they handed somebody. So we, so I really spent a lot of time creating all these processes. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, I joined an organization called EO, which is Entrepreneur's Organization. And I had a group of, of guys I met with on a monthly basis, and they had continuing learning programs that I went through. Um, I also, we started doing a succession planning process with my dad in 03 is when it started. And the idea was whether I'm gonna buy the business or not, or whether that's gonna work out, we should still understand the process of that. So we started doing some of that. <clears throat> Fast forward, so I'm being the sales guy, I've hired sales guys, business is starting to grow. Um, I think we probably really started seriously talking about buying the business from him in 07. Okay. And, um, and I was married at the time, and that was great, and my kids were growing up. How old were you then? Uh, so I was born in 1973, so what is that, 30, 73, 30, like 35? Okay. That's you know, right 34, yeah, 35. We're, we're too young, we're too old, yeah. No, and, and we were never really big on titles. You know, so as I'm looking to buy the business from my dad, part of what we worked on with him was, what do you want to do once I buy the business? What, what do you want to do, like, with your life? Like, do you want to continue to work? And what, Talk about your father. Yeah. yeah. We spent a lot of time, and it's crazy because when I hear people talk about these deals, they never talk about who they're buying the business from. They just talk about how it kind of affected them. And so I knew to make a successful sale that the transition of emotional equity from him to me was all that mattered. Because I knew that we would, you know, my dad being my best friend, I knew we would work the money out. Like, that wasn't the issue. Mm -hmm. Um and I had sage advice along the way. I mean, one piece of advice I got from a guy, because I would always talk to my dad about, hey, I'm buying the business, but I don't think it should be included as part of your estate, right? And my dad's like, you know, I don't know about that. I think that, you know, I have an older sister, and I'm like, well, it's not really fair. I'm buying a business, and I'm putting sweat equity, and that should just be outside of your estate. And, and this guy looked at me at this succession planning stuff. He said, well, you know, it's real simple, Jamie. It ain't your money. <laughs> so whatever you whatever you decides to do is your call, right? So that was kind of an epiphany because what it's kind of helped me understand is that it was the business that I was buying was really I was buying my dad's career from my dad, right? Yeah. And that's a pretty hard thing. Mm -hmm. I don't tell a story very often. So we're like coming down to the end. We've talked about it. I think he's in a good spot. He's decided to still engage with the business. We've created sort of what I'll call a a title at this time I've taken over the operations of the business in a two-year period we've we've built an infrastructure we've started to do strategic planning and brought in some consultants to help build some teams together and management teams yeah. so so the business is starting to hum along we're thinking about expanding into trade different trades at that time from heating and air and that's kind of that sort of 06 to 09 time period and, the, and there was a lot of other good things going on in terms of just personal success I was having and um, and it was a good time. <clears throat> I remember in 09 sitting at the closing table with my dad. And so in this room, 
And picture like a conference room where there's, you know, eight chairs, so four chairs on each side, and then two at the head, and it's a round, kind of an uh, oval style yeah. table. And yeah. There's no windows uh, in there, and it's just, you know, it's just the accounting's office, and there's, you know, a couple lawyers in there, you know, there's a corporate guy, and then there's a personal court, you know, personal attorney in there, and there's some um, CPAs and some. You know, you know, certified financial planner people in there. There's my mom, my dad, myself, and my wife. And we're getting ready to sign these papers. And this is a pretty simple thing to do. This is like the last like couple things. And my dad just starts to cry. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, did I like, cause I, this for me is like a huge exciting moment, right? I'm like, I'm buying a business. This is what I've always dreamed of, you know, Really, not always, shouldn't say always room doing, but this is like a major deal. Like you've, I'm, been, you've been working for this for a number of years, yeah. right? Like I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm third generation and like I'm carrying the legacy of the family on. I get it. For sure. Um, what that. ends up happening is um, he starts crying and in, and I'm like, are you doing okay? He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, I just don't know what the hell I'm going to do now. I said, well, wait a minute. What are you talking about? He's like. No, he's like, my entire life, this is all I've ever done. And now I have a choice. Yeah. So now I have a choice. So that was a hard, that was a hard thing. And then on the backside, he signs the paperwork. Was it tears of joy or tears of fear? I think, I think it was at all. Fear, um, amazement, Was it gratitude? Was it, was it accomplishment? For him, I think it was really, I think he was generally like very, like, it was just like completely like fear and unknown and what yeah, am I going to do it. now? And, um, you know, there were a lot of thin times when I was growing up as a yeah. kid, right? And so, you know, he had built a business, but more importantly, he had built a life to control his own life. Like no one was telling, no one was his boss, right? And I, and I think that even when he worked for his dad, right, or he worked with his brother, it was always he was working with somebody and somebody was always, he was always had to negotiate with what he wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? Like he, I do. And, and for the last 15 plus years, whatever, 89 to 2009, so the last 20 years, he had really run the show. And I think all of a sudden, it was like the race is over. So I think it's like, okay, so now I don't have, I don't have to do this. And so I think it was a relief, but I think it was really sad for him. Well, maybe an identity issue almost. For yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. I that's very that. intuitive. That's, so, that's great. <clears throat> so... Then on what? Then the other things that are happening in this room at the same time is I'm sitting there and I'm like, maybe this is the wrong thing for us to do right now, right? And in '09, um, we felt too there was some tax stuff with Obama. Sorry, we thought like Obama maybe it was going to change some tax laws for ten, and so we did think strategically too on the tax side. It was smart to go ahead and get this done. But then I'm like, okay, no, we should just forge ahead. So we forge ahead, and I remember walking out of there, and my dad sort of. You know, brings himself together, signs off. Yeah. Um, and I don't really remember the most. I don't remember what we did that night. Frankly, I don't. I don't. I don't think we went to dinner or anything. I think I went to work actually, or went home. I don't remember. But I remember getting in my car and thinking to myself, "Whole, oh my god, like, oh my god, like, what have I done? Like, did I? Should I really be buying this business? Like, yeah. oh my god, now all of a sudden it's real." I'm like, I'm like, shoot. And so I keep always saying to myself, well, just be careful what you wish for. And so. You were the dog chasing the bus and <laughs> cut the bus. Totally. totally. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, so it was a pretty challenging time for yeah. sure. Um, That's a fascinating yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. And I like the, the, 
the the reflection, you know, because you you were so close to the the person you bought the business, um, you not only had the perspective of your own as the as the buyer, but the perspective of the seller. For sure, for right, sure, right? Yeah, that's it's fascinating. Been, it's been that's a good ride. Yeah. Been a good well, let's ride. talk about um, if I could. So that, so congratulations, you bought the business since two thousand nine. Let's give people a snapshot, just really quick, where the business is today. Then I'm sure. going to back up a little bit. So just tell us about Apollo Home right now, right? Because the name's changed. It's Apollo Home now. It is. So uh, so today we are one hundred percent residential focused. We do heating, air conditioning, plumbing, electric, uh, handyman services, sewer. Uh, sewer restoration. Um, a big part of the business is um, our internal training platform. We call it Apollo University, which isn't unique. But what is unique is that we have a full apprenticeship program where we develop our own guys. And I call it cradle to grave. So the reality, we're trying to create pathway for guys to really come in as really infants in their career and then stay with us all the way through, whether it's through leadership training or whatever. We've won the best place to work six of the last seven years. Um, we've won a lot of awards. and. And most importantly is that we continue, in my opinion, got really clear on who we were and who we weren't. Um, and in terms of just overall growth, I mean, we've... All right, let's, let's, I want to come back to that. Sure. I'm, I'm sorry. Finish that, and I want to come back to what you just said about yeah. who we are and who we aren't. Yeah, so o overall growth, I mean, I, I can tell you this is... I feel like I've worked my entire career for what's happened in the last 12 to 24 months. Like, okay. we've... we fi It's like having... Like, spending your... The entire career hoping to put together the winning team on the field. Yeah. And right now we're that winning team. So, yeah. you know, when I look around, like we have high, really high, um, high retention. So yeah. we're in that 90% retention rate. And 10 years ago, Over we were. Employees? Uh huh. That's high. Well, for this industry, that it is high. Really now it's high. early in the year, Jack. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. But, this is not annualized. Okay. This but, is after January. <laughs> but, but, uh, but when we look at it, you know, the reality is, um, you know, we've been as, as high as 70% turnover, too. Yeah. So we got real clear and intentional. So, uh, you know, in a nutshell, the business got very intentional on, on sort of the business. We've put together really great people, really good team, and I feel pretty strongly about the results that we're seeing today. So That's great. It's good. Congratulations. Thanks. So let's, let's, let's talk about from 09 to 19. So it's been 10 years, Jamie said. Mm -hmm. Both hands on the wheel. Mm -hmm. yeah, are you the sole owner of the business? I am. Okay. Um, so let's talk about what, what you would consider to be some of these, I'll, I'll call them inflection points, these points in this last 10 years where, where either through some trial or some mistakes sure. or uh, through some discovery that, that something significant happened. And I, that's a big, broad, I'm giving you 10 years. Right. I'm giving you that big, broad thing. Yeah. Right. I heard this, who we are and who we aren't. I don't want to lead you, but, but uh, what's, what's one that you would share? Sure. So uh, as part of that 10-year process, I was, I, was, I would say, um, a pretty thirsty learner. So I would go around and I would try to go to as many conferences or things that I, where I could learn as much as I could. Yeah. I read a ton of books. I, I listened to a ton of books. I just And I would go meet anybody who I thought was really valuable. I think what I would say or where I would focus is around people. Right, so 2010, 2009 maybe? So right after you bought the business? Yeah, I went to MIT to an executive master's program. It was three okay. years long through EO. Uh, and there was a guy that gave a speech um, from a company called The Nurse Next Door in Vancouver. And he talked about this story. So he had been on the road and on the road selling franchises basically. He had a little mini pink car so you couldn't miss him, pulling into the parking garage, hadn't been there for three weeks. Saw this woman walking to uh, 
to their office that worked for him, waved. She didn't even acknowledge his wave and, and started to briskly walk the other way. Gets in there and all of a sudden he looks around and he realizes like this is like the worst culture ever. His and own he, business. His own business. Yeah. And he goes into a total freak out. Grabs his partner, goes to Denny, and for the next three hours they talked about the why. So from that moment, what I got really clear about was we I didn't really know what the why of the business was. Like and I'm very clear on what that is today. So where we've evolved to is that our business is really a training business, a marketing business, and a logistics company. That's really what we are. And when we talk about a training company, my job is to find people who are what I call diamonds in the rough, who don't have the skill sets but have the aptitude to want to learn and grow, and they need somebody to help focus that energy and grow. So to me, what we got clear on was all the people. But it took a long time. I mean, it took a decade to find all the right so people. So this, this, this awareness hit you in late nine or 10. Yep. And it took you 10 years, if you will, to kind of figure out what that meant. Oh, gosh, yes. Or how that looked. Yeah, I mean, it took, and, and here's what I would say. It's not, it, but we're still doing it. In other words, it's it's this, this continuous, yeah. fluid process. Like, you know, is my personal life cycle aligned with my business life cycle? You know, I was growing as a person, and my business was growing. And my and what I'm saying is, is that I needed to make a platform where there was a communal understanding. Of what were our values? And more importantly, like, did they actually see them working in the business? Okay. Right. So we created actionable values. Values that. Um, and we've gone from one words to phrases back to one words. There's the evolution. Now? So uh, Kaizen is continuous improvement. Okay, good. Yeah. Good so, okay. so when I think about, and that's the one, and, and this is you where. You use Kaizen or the word continuous improvement? I use Kaizen. Okay, all right. Right? Um, you know, integrity, do what's right, even when somebody's not looking. So you define that then? So you don't just say integrity, you say do what's right even when no one's not looking. Yeah, so let's pause there for a second sure. and talk about that. The reason I do that is we had a we had a value one time, okay, and this we took that we had six values when we started, okay, and the word was family, okay. Now and I thought that was really an easy word to understand. Well, why wouldn't you? You love your father, your parent, your family. Right. You know. I mean, they're just but but the problem was is somebody said to me, well, I need to do da, 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 and it's about my family, and that's one of our values. And I oh, so they, they leveraged weaponized it, it, correct. Oh, and wow. so, so what I learned was is that it's it's you have to be really intentional. Okay. Um, you know, I think the the other thing is is that when I say we got really clear on who we were and who we weren't, what we got clear about was who we wanted to be with and who we didn't. So one of the other um, core values that we don't publish it's the no assholes. You just said this on a podcast, so now it's published. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Put your picture on the internet. Yeah. It's there forever, Jamie. I, well, it's okay. Yeah. But uh, we, and I don't mean to like use that, that language. but That's okay. But what that means really is, it's for us, it's about team. Mm -hmm. And I want to drive fast to work and slow home. And I want all my employees to do the same. That's a cool way to put it. And I, like I stole that. that from somebody else, right? We had a board member who said to me, if you want to know if you have great culture, how fast do people want to get to work? You know, and, and so we followed this mantra around what I'll say common sense reality. You know, first thing that when we started down this road after we got value set was the phrase I always like to use is, would you want to work for you? 
So, so when I'm making decisions a lot with the business today, the first thing I'm thinking about is, okay, would I want to work here if I made that decision? Like, is that, and sometimes you have to make decisions for a business that, that structurally are hard to make, right? I mean, costs are costs and, and these kind of things, but the million dollar question when I hear everybody complaining about how they can't find anybody, the first thing I want to ask is, well, would you want to work for you? Yeah. And that's a hard question. It is because it's not fun to listen. It's not fun to think about. No, I'm sitting here, getting stomach acid <laughs> thinking about that myself. So, so, and then, um, so here we are. You know, I've in that ten year period, just to give you kind of some fun facts, right? Um, I've gone. I went through a, a full, probably one and a half management teams. I, I couldn't. You know, I thought I had the right guys in place, and then all of a sudden, it comes. It comes very clearly, like that they're not the right people. I found one guy who started to become a, what I'll say the, the rock of Gibraltar, like he was the stone that I could put other stones around. So he was kind of a, kind of a, what I'll say, uh, um, you know, he was just a foundational rock for us. Uh-huh. And he's still there today. And then we started looking for people to build around him and, and, and myself. And it took a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, just, I think last November we got the final piece of our team in place. And you know, you say to yourself, well, God, how can it take that long? Well, there's a lot of interesting things that happen along the way, you know? And I think, um, <laughs> I think the other thing is we are in a place now where because we're growing and we're, we're buying a new corporate headquarters, you know, yeah. we're going from 6,000, 7,000 square feet to 30,000 square feet. Yeah. We're buying a truck every two weeks right now. You know, that all takes cash. And so I, I said to a guy on my management team who's, we follow EOS, so our integrator. And I looked at him and I said, you know, hey, Dan. He said, you doing okay? I said, you know, I've noticed you've been a little off last, last couple weeks. He's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. I said, well, that's good because I'm making bets that I can't pay for. So if we could just assure me that you're on the same team all the time, and maybe that's too much to share publicly, but one of the things is, I knew if we wanted to grow, people are really what mattered. Yeah. The products, the services, right. the problems, they're always going to be there. But I knew that if you had the right people, and it, and it was the same with thing in rowing. I mean, I was, we had a really successful rowing team because we had a great team of people who really knew how to work together to be successful. And I always say this, too. I gave a speech the other day to the entire company, and I said, when it, when it looks like, smells like, and feels like a winning team, it is. And I think so many times as leaders, we forget to pause and actually look around at what was created and be thankful yeah. and have gratitude. And, and I can tell you that early on in my career, I was aggressive and not angry, but like angry. Like you're just aggressive and angry. Like I'm going to run you over, man. And now I'm like, you know, I don't have to run you over. I just have to run faster than you. So when the bear gets you, it doesn't get me first. Right. And it's, and that's from a competition standpoint, but anyway, that was a bad comparison. No, I get it totally. I get this maturation of yourself, right? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Um, so you talked about this this moment in, in hearing the story in sure. early 2010 and, uh, and kind of this journey of building a team. and, and uh, Yeah, it's humbling, right? You know, we... Um, you know, I, my business probably can run... Well, it can. No, no, I have a great group of guys. 
and gals that work there. And so I'm blessed with the fact that I can sit here with you today and not worry about what's happening at, yeah. at Apollo. But what it also means is that I can't take that for granted either. Tell me more. Well, I, you know, a lot of people I know talk about wanting to be a passive investor. And what I would tell you is in terms of passive investment is that our businesses, in my opinion, are a daily investment. I mean, it's a daily deal. Every day we do a daily huddle, right? Got to fill the board every day. I, I think that these kind of businesses are what I call high-touch businesses. You, you know, they take... God, this is good. You are so right. You well, are so right. I'll give you an example, right? The reason our culture is so great is because we work on it every single day. Every day. And, and every day I walk around and I make it a point to talk to somebody about something about their kids or about their family. And I don't really want to talk about work. We can, I mean, sure, I'll talk about what you're doing as a goal. But I think sometimes um, we truly miss this opportunity to realize when you walk around this office, you carry a pretty big stick. And you should respect it and not abuse it. A lot of guys I know don't realize how if, you know, remember when you made like, I don't know, a call center person, you know, and then the CEO walks over and says, what are you doing? I mean, that's not really a comfortable moment, right? Yeah. So, you, so you have to train your organization to be able to accept that it's a comfortable moment because you're coming over to like applaud people. Like, thanks for the hard work. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Yeah. I think random acts of kindness are a big deal. Well, you talked about this, this, this high touch business and, uh, it, 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 you know, our industry is a it's a daily receipts business. You basically start every day with zero backlog, right? And so, yep. unlike a lot of companies, you know, where they you know, Nexstar is one of them, right? We have mm-hmm. members they send us dues every month. It's like not, I don't have to drive Nexstar every day like like you do. And to think that you can have a business where you're passive or sitting on a hammock. That's an imagery that's been used sometimes in our industry, and I think it's just ridiculous. I think it's, it's well, a, who would want to work for somebody who says, you work hard so I can sit on a hammock? I mean, that's just counterintuitive. I, and I, I mean, and, and truthfully, I've never read this book, this four-hour work week. I've never read the book, and I'm sure it's a great book. But the title of four-hour work week, I, I don't know about you, but I, grow, I grew up, this is, this is what I grew up to do. I grew, I'm a worker. Like, I grew up in a, biz, in a family that we, my dad works six days a week. As long as I can remember. And I work six days a week. You know, I'm at the office Monday through Friday. I go in on Saturdays, crank it up. Now I work half to half to three quarters of a day on a Saturday. But, but the deal is, like, it's like I use a Saturday to get ready for, tomorrow, ready for Monday. Yeah. Right? And I think one of the things that I think most about lately, I think about, and I thought I'm actually infatuated with this. When I go to a Next Star meeting, I look around the room. And I look at all the, con- all, the, all the contractors, look at all the members, and I say to myself, what is the difference between this guy or that guy? And, when, and of course, I'm comparing, like, how did he get, you know, right. sizably larger than this other guy? And I don't know exactly the right answer. But lately, I've been thinking a lot about, is it about creating or executing? And where I'm sort of in my evolutionary path today is, I think it's really about executing. And I think that we have spent in my company a lot of time trying to create where we should have spent a lot of time just executing. You know, and my dad always said it the best. It is the think and the do. And he said, if you spend enough time in the think stage, the do stage is really easy. I think we're in the do stage right now. Um, I, I don't think as an organization, 
innovation is a bad thing, but I think that it can be looked at and valued sometimes incorrectly. At the end of the day, you might have the greatest product or service in the world, but you still got to sell it. You still got to execute it. So where we are today, I think when I think about this idea about evolution and growth, and we're just about, let's go execute it. Let's just go get it done. And I'm not sure exactly what that means every day, but what I know is that we need to have forward movement. We need to do a great job for our employees, a great job for our customers, and stop thinking so much. Just follow the process, right? Because when I look around the room at these meetings, what I see is guys that could really execute. The, 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 the ones that are really killing it are the guys that, that that's so cool. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Especially, you know, and, 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 you know, I would imagine you mentioned, and I'm, I'm going to leave on that thought because that's really good. And if I could make sure this, this idea of primacy and recency, you know, I want people to, to walk out of here that's not so much about the think, it's about the do. Especially today in this industry where the thinking's been done, meaning that, you know, you don't have to recreate. You, you mentioned you didn't have a, a sales folder. So you had to create this stuff, and you had to do all these processes. But today, with companies like Nexstar, it's there, right? There's, there's so much less thinking, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about this, okay, here's the really scary part. What were the barriers for growth in multiple branch locations in a businesses like ours? There was, it was pretty simple, in my opinion. It was technology, because you, had, you, know, you have a shared service model. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have technology that allows you to basically run a call in the same platform anywhere in the country, or the world, really, if you thought about the platform. Um, you know, training. Well, okay, training programs are out there. We can do them. We can create people. Okay, so what's the only other thing that would hold you back from growing? Probably yourself. Probably leadership. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Right? So to me, it's like, I think it's not the think. I think it's the do, and let's go execute. Now, granted, it's really simple to sit here in an office looking at a beautiful, you know, beautiful morning, crisp, yeah. beautiful out. But it's not supposed to be easy. And it's not supposed to be fun all the time. No. You know, it's, it's work for a reason. But I think if you embrace it and really focus on the fact that, like, you're, you're always trying to move the ball forward, even if it's an inch today. Yeah. That's a win, man. It is. It's a win. Jamie, you have got to get into a class. I do. And I have enjoyed the heck out of this. Thank you. This is very thoughtful. I love your journey. I love the reflection. I mean, there's so many lessons that I've pulled out of this that I'm sure our listeners will pull. So thank you for spending time with us today. Definitely. Have a great day, Jack. Thanks so much. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Leadership Lounge. Remember, it's not the think so much as it's the do. I'm going to leave you with that because it's so true. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next time. 